I'm Christine Dolan, and I'm a journalist, and I know a lot of people know Mike Lindell because of some of the issues having to do with elections, but I know him in a different way. Last year, in the middle of the 2020 election, my back was killing me because I'm teleworking. So a friend of mine sent me a pillow that Mike Lindell manufactured, and it helped me to sit on a chair doing interviews, too many interviews during the day because we're all working off-site. And then this year, because we're working off-site and we, we all want to be comfortable, I tried Mike Lindell's slippers. Now, I'm a big one on slippers because I like comfort. I have worn moccasin slippers all my life. And when I tried Mike Lindell's slippers, I couldn't believe this because it really does have four layers of cushions. It's like having very loose tennis shoes on. And it's easy because you really do wear them all night long if you're working like me from the early hours of the morning to the late hours at night. So I highly recommend Mike Lindell's slippers and his pillows if you've got a back problem and you're sitting down. Now, how you get the discount for this is very simple. It's on our site. CDM is the promo code for it. Promo code CDM is what we're asking you to do. Again, you will feel comfortable for your back with those little pillows that he has and also for the slippers that you can get from him. And now let's get to our guests. So today on American Conversations, let me just say that, you know, we cover a lot of corruption. We cover a lot of, about COVID, uh, human trafficking, Afghanistan, but we also cover practical solutions to some of those big problems. And that's why we talk about the story behind the headlines on American Conversations. And we talked about the practical solutions to some of the stories that we cover. And today we're honored to have Ross Mason, who is the founder of the High Impact Network for Responsible Innovate, Innovators. And Ross, you have, a, you have a personal story. I mean, you spent a lot of years in Silicon Valley and you were an athlete. And one of the focuses for Henry um, is, which is the acronym for your organization, is on paralysis uh, research and helping veterans. There's 85,000 um, people in America alone that are paralyzed. And you, you know, you started Henry in 2004. Um, Oh, you, and then it was in 2007. Do I have the years? Well, I started Henry in 2004 and I broke my neck in 2007. So, so we already it's, done our first three or four projects uh, by 2007. All right. So, so tell us what happened to you from a personal to set the stage of how you moved into that and how you're helping people who have paralysis, as well as uh, including the veterans here in America. Absolutely. Well, thank you for having me today. It's a pleasure to be with you. And um, Henry, I have an angel and I had a um, real estate business in Russia for 12 years. I was a private banker um, in Europe, Russia, the United States, um, worked in Africa, which is what got me into healthcare in an AIDS hospital in Zambia and um, adventure travel company in the Arctic and then sold a company in Silicon Valley. Um, what really caused me to create Henry was a project I did in Germany with a mentor who was a leading angel investor in Silicon Valley. He did 423 angel deals in five years. He was the first money into Google, PayPal, very early, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Groupon. Um, Sequoia did 50% of his follow-on, and this leads directly to Henry, by the way. Kleiner Perkins did 30%. 
Excel did 10%, another 50 VCs to the remaining 10%. And I saw that, and we did a project in Germany with a 500 million euro innovation campus with the German government in Wolfsburg and a 280 million euro venture fund focused on healthcare IT, healthcare IT mobility and entertainment. And I wanted to replicate that innovation campus in Atlanta. I was living in Silicon Valley. I felt Atlanta was uniquely positioned uh, to be a leader in global health innovation. Why Atlanta? Explain that to the audience. Atlanta, uh, well, first of all, Atlanta was number one in the country then in healthcare IT aggregate revenue. Their top 10 healthcare, healthcare IT companies had more aggregate revenue than any other city in America. They were number two in logistics. They were uh, up and coming in media and entertainment, which, sorry, this is just the opposite as I said. They're up and coming in media and entertainment. And um, they had um, the, one of the leading global and public health infrastructures. So because of the CDC, which does over seven and a half billion dollars of research each year and has over 5,000 MDs and PhDs, that's more research and more MDs and PhDs than the university system in the state of California. And they're all focused on healthcare. So Atlanta, the Georgia Research Alliance had invested a half a billion in, in uh, health innovation across our university system. Uh, Georgia Tech and Emory were merging their biomedical engineering programs. Uh, they were in the top five. Now they're one or two in America. So you could see, plus, very importantly, Georgia had some of the worst healthcare demographics in America. We were in the top five in the death from every chronic disease. We were number two in childhood obesity. We had 88 counties uh, that led the nation in the percentage of our population with TB and AIDS. So we had a great logistics infrastructure with a port, the airport. Uh, we had the media with CNN, obviously. We had the health IT, we had logistics, and we had a very, very strong FinTech community, which is really critical in healthcare payments. So I could see the eco, so things like the American Cancer Society, Care International, MAP, the Task Force for Global Health, the task force, three and a half billion of pharma donated a year. MAP, five, over 500 million of pharma donated a year. Care International. We have these, this massive nonprofit infrastructure in addition uh, to the government with CDC. So I felt we were in a very, very unique position. And um, I was very, very excited to move to Atlanta. So Henry was created to replicate the campus in Germany. To, to make Atlanta the global leader in health innovation. That's why I created Henry. So every project I've ever done has led the groundwork for that. Our first project was creating one of the nation's leading charitable care networks. We provide care through the Georgia Care a Charity Care Network to over half a million people in 130 counties, save the state over 500 million a year in charitable care. Our set, we set up one of the nation's largest telehealth networks one of the largest pharmaceutical distribution networks, the, the, one of only two stroke networks in America. Um, we went from second to 17th in childhood obesity in five, uh, in seven years, excuse me. Um, the Governor uh, Barnes had run the Georgia Cancer Coalition. Um, we were really starting to innovate 
but we again had some of the worst healthcare demographics. Governor Purdue appointed me to the state health board, uh, which I would later chair, which had the third largest health plan in America. So you had this huge population where you could do clinical trials. We had 1.8 million people on Medicare and Medicaid. We had over half a million, as I told you, in the free clinic networks. Uh, we had 350,000 people in the, in the um, technical college system, uh, uh, 650,000 uh, in, in the, in the uh, university system, excuse me, technical college is another 150,000. We had 650,000 in the state health benefit plan. So we had this very aggregate co uh, popu uh, concentrated population, very diverse population, heart, you know, really very uh, high incidence of chronic disease and mortality from chronic disease. And you had the ecosystem of innovation. So that's so why you had, you had a ripe market to launch yeah. in Atlanta. And that's why I moved back here. And um, so we set our first uh, project was the charity care network, which led to statewide telemedicine, statewide pharma network, statewide clinical trial network, et cetera. Second, uh, with special needs education uh, with Jacob's Ladder. That's one of the, it's 20 years ahead of anything we've seen anywhere in the world in special needs education. Harvard Medical, that's not my opinion, that's Harvard Medical School. Uh, the Marcus Foundation has recognized them as being a key innovator. Forbes Magazine's listed them. The third project, and this was the key, was the partnership with the military. I met with Admiral Mullen when he was chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. The military is the key driver of health innovation traditionally uh, in our society. It's where blood transfusions, general surgery, penicillin, antibiotics, those became civilian innovations by starting in the military. So, and I'm in the military, to me, was the key partner um, for a whole host of reasons. They were the largest customers. They are the largest single customer with VA and DOD together. They've got over 330 uh, hospitals with DOD, VA, and Indian reservations. So, I went to, and what we always do with Henry, we're a faith-based organization. We always ask two questions. How can I help you? How can I pray for you? With Admiral Mullen, I met with him. I said, how can I help with you? Help you. He said, Ross, we are, we have 58 attempted suicides a day, 22 are successful. Um, we need to stop the suicides. We've got over 24,000 um, nonprofits I'm tracking as chairman and they're not working together. We have great corporate civic community engagement. We do not have collaboration. So I then I, he said, I've written a white paper and I want you to be the first state to implement my sea of goodwill strategy. Um, I've set up a family and warrior support team as a new initiative for the Joint Chiefs of Staff. So we did. We partnered with Bo Calloway at Calloway Gardens. Uh, we started doing eight to 10, 12 uh, retreats a year for suicide prevention and just listening. What, you know, we can't help so you. So you right. had this big operation, you had a ripe environment, you had people listening to you, and then you had an accident that made this more personal to you as you move forward, correct? Explain to yeah. the audience what happened to you. Right. I realized with the accident, the only way to address spinal cord injury, frankly, a lot of other... But set the, set the stage, Ross, about what happened, because the audience doesn't necessarily know that. I was training for the Ironman New Zealand. I was an extreme athlete you know, climbing El Capitan, ice climbing Baffin Island, surfing all over the world, um, you know, all kinds of crazy things. And um, 
but I was training for an Iron, the Ironman New Zealand. I got a, a B in my helmet. Um, I was on a pretty new bike I wasn't real familiar with. Uh, an insect hit me and I went out of the arrow position um, in case it was a B to, to get my hands on the brakes. And it stung me as I was over the uh, cow horns, the um, handlebars. And I, I yanked and, and it shot me off the Silver Comet Trail and I hit a tree or a rock and broke my neck at C6. And um, somebody saw me go off the trail. Fortunately, I you know, could have died uh, in the woods, um, was off the trail. But uh, they called and they sent an ambulance and went through the whole, you know, who's the president of the United States? Uh, what day of the week is it kind of business? And, um, and I was laughing and cutting up with them. And they said, your pulse and your blood pressure, I mean, you could die any second. Why are you laughing and cutting up? And I said, well, uh, you know, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. I'm either going to see him in a few minutes or he has something else for me to do. And I'm happy either way. So that that was how I got injured. And I quickly realized with the spinal cord injury, you don't you either get classified as a complete or incomplete injury. And what that means is whether you have function or sensation below the break, really two weeks, three weeks after you're injured. And that then puts you on a track and you don't realize it. If you are a complete injury, meaning no function, sensation below the break, you don't get there. They teach you to be disabled in the United States. If you're an incomplete injury, you have some function, sensation. You demonstrate movement or sensation first, and then they'll do rehab, but not until. And insurance companies have handed everybody with a spinal cord injury that's a non-veteran onto Medicare or Medicaid after two years. And then they then shut down all innovation because they don't have a financial incentive. The other thing they love to do, which they did to me, is they, they say that your injury was a pre-existing condition. So Blue Cross Blue Shield of Georgia took the position that as a semi-pro athlete doing Ironmans, my broken neck was a pre-existing condition and refused to pay for a penny of my care for my first seven months of hospitalization. That's very routine. So uh, you've experienced um, the broken system firsthand. Yes, and, and I was vice chairman then of the state health board. I know the governor. I know the CEO of every hospital system and every right. uh, insurance company in the state. You know, I, I was not a typical spinal cord patient, but that's still my experience. And so you couldn't find the help the help you needed. I remember when I first met you and you shared with me how somebody had the nerve to tell you to get used to being disabled. And yes. Set yeah, that, you off to prove everybody wrong. That is, they feel like the worst thing they can do in our medical system is give you false hope. So if you try to get out of your, they will, they will beat you down and, and they'll tell you you need counseling. You know, what's wrong with you? You need to accept your injury. You know, you need to stop trying to get out of your chair. You're never getting out of your chair. You know, you need counseling, you know, et cetera. If you try to, I mean, they will, you know, the medical system will fight you. They want to keep you in your lane in the areas that they get paid to address. And that's it. So we, we have interviewed a lot of the COVID vaccinated injured now since June, July, put them on camera and released them in August uh, of last year. And we keep on interviewing them. And when they have received, when they find themselves as vax injured, 
they have gone to the ER, they've gone to their GP, they've gone to specialists for neurological and vascular injuries that they have, even though the FDA hasn't acknowledged it, and hence the CDC hasn't acknowledged it. And the stories that we're hearing from them are similar to the stories than the reactions you had. And with your, with now that you, you know, you've founded uh, Henry and you've had this experience in helping others, the other 85,000 people that are paralyzed, what's your reaction to what's going on here in America? Well, I, I've certainly experienced it firsthand with spinal cord. A young man with an injury similar to mine lived with me for five years. He had a brachial plex injury and they wanted to amputate it, which means his nerves were pulled away from the spine and they wanted to amputate his arm. You know, we, we treated him with a uh, sound wave technology and literally the surgeon said to us, and, and we said, we can reverse this and we can address skin sores. Other, he said, why should I do that? I get paid $25,000 to cut off his arm. I don't get paid anything to heal it. I mean, you know, I mean, just that blunt. Mm. Um, and, you know, we went to the Mayo Clinic we created a clinical trial with, um, and we restored over a third of the use of his arm and then got a federal judge to change the standard of care. But it, it's so embedded, you know, the protocol, what is paid for, what the process is, the standard pharma. I mean, they had me on pharmaceuticals. It caused me to use, lose my hair. I mean, they, they wanted to solve this very small problem that was trivial. So I was on a drug for years before I figured out it caused osteoporosis, baldness, sleeplessness, anxiety, weight gain, hair loss. You know, I mean, it, I have to dig and dig and dig. It wasn't like a Google search to figure out that's what was going on. And they just have these po pro they have these standard protocols they slap on you. They create a medical protocol. And what's happened in our system, patients are an ATM on a conveyor belt. And they're just punching in their code to extract the money and then you go down the conveyor belt. You're not, we use the knife and the pill. Those are our two options in our medical system. We don't tailor the solution to the individual patient and what his and her, her, her needs are. We try to make the patient fit the system of what we're doing and what we get paid to do and what we want to generate research dollars around exploring. That, that's the way our system works, whether it's COVID or spinal cord. So we have interviewed a number of doctors who have shared with us how when they go for either medical exemptions, I think we've lost both of you because I can't see Todd and I can't see Ross. Oh, there we I, are. I see now. Okay. Okay. And I think Todd's coming back. So I'll just hang on for a second. There yeah, we go. Weirdness. So let's let the, they're watching us. How do I say that? Okay. So, so we can start this again. So Ross, we have also interviewed uh, physicians who do have that patient doctor relationship who have offered either medical exemptions for, for uh, the, again, you know, in contradiction with the protocols coming out of CDC for physicians for certain care. And we've also uh, interviewed doctors who have been brought before medical boards because they have alternative medicines or uh, their, their care is alternative to what the protocols are. 
What's your thoughts about what's going on at the military academies when they're demanding that the students, uh, the cadets and the Naval Academy students, you know, have to get the vaccinations, the COVID vaccinations, they have to get the boosters? Because that's one of the stories we've worked on when people, you know, buck the system. And that affects every family, because as you well know, personally, and you know, through your work with a lot of people who are paralyzed, the system, the insurance will not cover yeah. the, 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 the things that work. So what, what do you say to people that are, that are looking at what's going on now and overwhelmed by it? Well, and it's not something new. I mean, Matthew McConaughey did the movie Dallas Buyers Club. And, and ironically, that was Dr. Fauci again, but they were limiting the off. They don't want you taking, um, over the counter medications or Medicaid where the or medication where the patent is has has expired for alternative use. So they want to they want to create a new drug for this uh, specific case because that's where the money is. I mean, it, it's very simple. It's about the money, and we want to you know regardless of how you feel about pro life pro choice, you know we heard for decades, it's my body. Don't tell me what to do with my body on one hand, but when it involves vaccination, you're going to do exactly what I say, or you're going to lose you. Well, which is it? Which, which is it? Do, do you think I, this I, is, I have, do you think this is all about the money right now with this forced vax? I absolutely I mean, believe it is. Look at who, I mean, this is, look at who owns the patents around the vaccines. Look at mm -hmm. um, the research that's driven by it. I mean, it is an insider's, club where i mean fauci's able to allocate seven and a half seven point three to seven point five billion dollars a year that's more than the gates foundation he's he's driving research in all of our medical schools he's setting up the panels the clinical trials and some of the things they're doing with these clinical trials the placebo is not a what i would call they're redefining words a placebo to me is a harmless inert you know, substitute mm -hmm. the equivalent of doing nothing. What they're doing is finding something more toxic, labeling that the placebo, and then and then the and then comparing that with high risk drugs. We've been doing that in Africa for years, and you you see videos about you know people leaders in the African American community where they say, well, look, you are, you know, don't ask me to get vaccinated. You are using us for look at the Tuskegee experiments where you're testing it. You're you're giving us syphilis and you're doing this. We do not have a clean bill of health on clinical trials and the medical industry in this country. It is driven by money. Driven so by money. what what gets me is this is so massive and so corrupt and so obvious. I don't understand how they think they could have gotten away with it. Well, it's not isolated. So, yeah. you know, like in my, I mean, just to go back to spinal cord injury, insurance industries have a lot more money than I do. And they lobby Congress. So it is medically unnecessary for me to have access to a shower, a toilet, caregiving, medical supplies. I mean, I don't mean to get too, but it costs me $15,000 out of pocket a year to urinate. That's not medically necessary. So, you know, this is not, this is not like, co you know, COVID is, this is just all of a sudden happened. We've right. been doing this in various verticals of our healthcare system for decades and we have linked together it is a medical industrial com uh, complex 
you know, Eisenhower talked about the military industrial com complex. We have a medical industrial complex and the, look at the pharmaceutical industries um, advertising on news channels. Um, look at their marketing campaigns. Look at how they're pushing drugs, not just to doctors, but to consumers. I mean, it is a PR money driven industry. It is not about the patient. It is not about the outcome. It's about money. Sure. And so, but now they're literally killing tens of thousands of people. I mean, well, did they just get so arrogant that they think they would just get away with it. They're trying I mean, to get and build back better that the data cannot be released on COVID for 55 years. Right. Right. But the yeah. judge, the judge reversed that. I mean, so they're, why are they trying to do that? If it's so safe, why mm -hmm. are they, why do they want legal exculp? Why do they want to be uh, no legal liability if it's safe? I mean, it's just, I mean, look at Senator Johnson's committee meetings on the vaccine injured. These are doctors. These are nurses. These are people that are not anti-vaccine. So it's, um, it's a, you know, people need to be able to make their own medical decisions in concert with, with the advice of their medical professionals, their family. I don't know how anybody argues with that. I mean, there, there are people in, I've got friends in California who almost died from the first vaccine. And now, you know, and their doctors are telling them, if you get the second vaccine, you're going to die. Mm -hmm. I mean, you had, you know, if you, if we had not caught this for another three or four minutes, you'd be dead. And those people can't travel. They can't eat in restaurants, et cetera. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, I, I just, yeah. and it, I don't, I, are we, are we, I mean, are we vaccinating the people that are walking across the border? Are they being, are we forcing them to be vaccinated? I, I don't think so. I mean, so it's it, just a tool. For the, it's a tool for the great reset at this point, more yeah. than anything. Yeah. So you have the experience, though, as a financer and you have an experience of somebody who's traveled the world. All right. You have the firsthand experience of someone who's been severely medical injured, told that, you know, you're not going to have any progress and you've proven them wrong, even though you're, you're not, you know, you're still in a wheelchair. OK, but you've but you've gained your ground, as they say, as an athlete, um, even in spite of the system. How do you think? I mean, you in parts of your life, you've been fortunate, not just tenacious, but you've been able to afford it and to keep on going. But what about the little guys, you know, because we've interviewed some of these people who their medical insurance is not covering what they need. And then they but alternative medicine helps them, but they don't have the funds. No. I mean, is there any way, and we have some of the brightest people in the world speaking out and trying to fight this. Many are terrorized to speak out because of the cancer culture and because of being slamming all over the internet or having their reputations torn up. How do we get out of this for us? Well, I, you, to me, what I have done is I have partnered with countries that are willing to be innovative on clinical trials. That's one thing I've done. So um, COVID or, or, or the paralysis on spinal cord, for instance, we're the standard of care in Austria for the okay. first 24 hours. We have a treatment that'll make basically a complete injury, almost impossible. Um, we China, it, it, there are a lot of negative things about China, 
Uh, but you can do innovative things in clinical trials. Um, some of the Middle Eastern countries are very innovative. They obviously have tremendous amounts of money. Um, so we, we just, uh, Canada, believe it or not. So we have to partner in other countries on clinical trials, establish markets, then come into the U.S. The military is a great partner. I think um, the military can change the insurance because if TRICARE does it, it will lead to Medicare or Medicaid doing it. And now all of a sudden you've got the largest payer in America and it will lead to insurance. That's the way you have to do it. So you've got to sort of do um, top down and bottom up. You have to do bottom up with things like prizes, uh, which is what Lindbergh used to fly across the Atlantic. He got 27 groups um, competing against each other and it created the uh, modern aviation industry. And, and with, you know, just mom and pops competing against each other, big government, big business, big pharma, big nonprofits do not innovate. They do not innovate well. They can purchase it, but they don't do it well. So you need, and that's why, that's my background in early stage with mm -hmm. Silicon Valley. You know, Barnes and Noble had, they didn't see Amazon coming. I mean, you know, it was a startup, you know, and so Google, all these startups that come out of the valley, they change the world. So that's what we're doing with Henry actually is finding innovators like Amy O'Dell that's absolutely transforming autism. They've got the most degreed, credentialed people with hundreds of millions of dollars behind them, but they're not having kids routinely draw, jump three, five, six grade levels in six to eight months or 10 grade levels in a particular subject in a year. She does it all the time and, and, it, and she's starving for resources, but she's incredibly innovative. That's exactly what Henry does. We're like a venture capital that invests in healthcare innovators, whether it's special needs education, people on the autistic spectrum, it's programs and services for veterans, it's spinal cord injury, it's clean water, it's vaccines, antivirals. That's what we do is you identify key innovators and you come, that's what angel investors in Silicon Valley do. That's what, that's the model we created with Henry. You come around an innovator, you put a board together for them, you raise capital, you establish strategic partnerships, you introduce technology and servant leaders to accelerate those organizations. That is exactly what Henry was created to do in healthcare, had nothing to do with spinal cord. We didn't touch spinal cord until about four, three or four years ago. But what we're trying to do is empower innovators to transform healthcare. That's what we do through Henry. Our website is hinri.org. I've done it for free for 17 years. You know, we give as much money away as we can. We buy and partner with businesses to employ vulnerable populations to give money to innovators. That's what we do. So one of the things that we're focusing on is exposing the corruption so people understand how how big this is and how personal it is because it affects every human being right now and every family across the globe in terms of the COVID and the vaccination and the pharma corruption that has been going on for years. Do you did you think that that helps what it is that that, that you're doing? 
I because, do. Because our, because our goal in exposing the corruption is to raise the standard and scare the hell out of everybody that if they don't change, they're going to be exposed. To hold them accountable. And hold them accountable doing. because basically they're hurting people. If somebody mm -hmm. says to your mate who lived nobody will talk about it for five years that, you know, unless we get paid to, you know, amputate your arm versus yeah. the treatment that will help you that the insurance may not cover. I mean, that's yeah. corruption. Yes, it is. And it's tragic. And we see, I see that across the board with spinal cord and um, you know, it's, it's a tremendous cynicism, apathy, greed, indifference, and institutional myopia, a uh, best case. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I, I think you just, what you have to do is create communities of innovators. And that's what's ha that's what happens with diseases because our medical system not only is focused on surgery and pharma intervention, and that's about it, but it's also siloed. So they're not looking at you as your, as a whole patient. So with spinal cord, when you've got two dozen comorbidities, you know, nobody's talk. This specialist has, is not communicating with that specialist is not communicating with that specialist. And we're very germ centered pharmaceutical. So they're destroying your brain, gut barrier, et cetera, not focusing on holistic health. Um, it's just that I'm going to treat this symptom with this vaccine, drug, surgery, intervention, pay me, goodbye. And, you know, patients, I think, early stage innovators, and to some degree, some innovative health systems, and some high net worth families, some, some good, um, well-meaning, well-informed foundations. There are some very, very good actors in the space, but it, it takes decades to innovate. It takes decades to innovate. Um, we don't. We don't have time with these with yeah. these COVID COVID uh, vaccine injuries, though, because we have children. They're targeting children without parental consent. We yep. don't know the long term effects. They haven't finished the safety and efficacy tests. They've withheld the neurological and the vascular information about the injuries yep. that they've had, at least by late 2020. Um, so they're lying to people now. Well, and it's an experimental clinical trial. That's right. I mean, it, that's what it is. And it, they rushed phase two and phase three. Uh, they did truncated animal studies and they're not, they've just blown through every protocol, every safeguard. So, and that's why they want liability. Um, they don't want to be liable and that's why they don't want to, they don't want the data. They, they don't want people pulling the data forward. So well, they've commodified the human race. Yeah, they've medically commodified the human race. To me, they're no they're, they're no better than than human traffickers for sex and labor at this point in time. Well, it's a tragic situation. We, it, it's not. I you know, in my opinion, it this did not happen in isolation. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can see it as a patient going through our system. It's all about what do you know how do i take what you're experiencing and put it into a box that i'm going to be paid to address and whether that's three percent of your problem or 20 percent of your problem etc and we've gone from that unfortunately to um you know taking solutions uh and and forcing them on our population let people make their medical decisions with their medical advisors with their families and based on their conscience.
you know, I, I don't know how you argue with that, I, but apparently that's not a reasonable approach. Well, they're I mean, doing it. What is yeah. the, by Mac, I mean, we're acknowledging that if you've been vaccinated, you can be a carrier, you can pass COVID on to someone else. So what is the rationale then? Okay, so maybe you're- And you may, and you may get COVID even if you're fully vaccinated according to whatever the definition- You probably will, you're more likely to. Yeah, and if you're, so if you're gonna argue that there's a greater uh, case of fatality, well, everybody's acknowledging that's not the case with Omicron. It's, it's esophageal and not pulmonary. I, I don't know. It, it's a it, it's the worst combination of PR. I mean, we're, there's not a dialogue. There's not a debate. We're deplatforming people. We're deplatforming physicians. We're deplatforming epidemiologists. We're deplatforming specialists. People that were involved in developing mRNA. We need to have a public square where everything is addressed and different voices and opinions are heard in a rational way. And we're evaluating data for the long term and not manipulating studies. I mean, they, the, the, uh, the, care, the COVID Care Alliance in Canada published a study and it was 0.005 versus 0.88 or something. Um, so it was, the efficacy on the vaccine and non-vaccinated and vaccinated, the efficacy was less than 1% and they demonstrated it. But because 0, it was 0.004, um, they were is 5% of 0.88 or whatever. They, they, they said it's 95% more effective. So they're using adjusted relative risk right. instead of actual risk. So they're, they are a lot, you know, they are, they are deceiving people with the numbers. So you hear 95% more effective. Well, the reality is it's less than 1% effective, but based on the control group, um, it, it was, you know, they're, they're able to say that it was 95% more, more efficacious and it's just completely deceptive. And they're calling them out that the Canadians actually are aggressively calling them out panels of doctors on the except, except Trudeau is still is, Trudeau is still demanding you know that they have mandates although you know there's there's uh tens of thousands of truckers that are driving across from British Columbia to Ottawa and there's uh thousands of American truckers driving north to meet the boys and girls driving the trucks in Canada you know th this weekend and I'm told that, you know, because we're covering this, that uh, they're going to stay there until Trudeau changes the mandates or steps down. Well, what, it, what, it, what are the costs outside of COVID? I mean, this is basically statistically the equivalent of a seasonal flu. What is it doing to shut down the small right. businesses in this country? What is it doing to mental health to isolate people? What is it doing to other forms of drug abuse, depression? I mean, we're just ignoring the, again, we're focused on one thing to create mm -hmm. a single narrative who's to create money to sell a solution. That's exactly what spinal cord is like. That's exactly what like our system. It doesn't take into account any of the other factors that may well be much more important to the person or the patient in the case of spinal cord. So that's what I mean by it's not an isolated incident. So how much harm do you think that the Fauci's and the Gates of the world are creating right now? 
Well, I, I certainly, I'm, I've, I've read a lot of books about it. It's not, it's not, it's, it's very disconcerting. I don't know, obviously, the, the scale and the impact, but it's a tragic situation and a very scary time. And, you know, they, they caught, they absolutely nailed Fauci to the wall on the AIDS situation with what he was doing with clinical trials, uh, his relationship with pharma, et cetera. And he backtracked and he was able to, I mean, they like a Houdini. And on this, I mean, I am medicine. I am science, excuse me. I mean, right. it's, uh, it's insane. So I, we've got to have uh, politicians and leaders that hold people accountable. I mean, Rand Paul obviously has been very aggressive in going after him, but they've got to go after the data. I mean, people yeah. are dying. They ought to be tenacious and they need to, to go after the data. I mean, it, it's, it is, it is a, there is a medical industrial complex, as I was saying. Uh, I mean, it, it really is tragic. So is Henry going to, what are you guys going to do in, in this era about the COVID clinical trials or any, are you going to do anything at all? That that's not, it, it's not our area. Uh, we're going to focus on uh, driving innovation. So where we would get involved is if we felt there was a very innovative solution, we would focus on driving, accelerating, advancing, that and that solution and and to me innovation is driven by how you define the problem in such a way that you can create a novel and innovative solution so we would not look at what's the challenge or problem with covid we would look and we do we have we have mm -hmm. half a dozen other technologies that are social enterprise partners that eliminate the covid problem without touching your body they purify the air they, um, we, we've looked as an example, and, and one of our partners, and I won't say their name, but they're in the White House, the Oval Office, they're next to the Joint Chiefs of Staff, the Chairman's Office, they're in restaurants, they're et cetera, and they're eliminating COVID from the air. And we've looked at four or six of those kinds of solutions. It doesn't matter whether you're vaccinated or not, we're solving the problem. That's the way we would look at a problem like COVID not trying to take on the establishment and fight them or argue with them or get, we would just say, look, here's a better solution. Um, and, and that's, that's the way we have approached COVID. We have six to eight technologies and solutions that have nothing to do with vaccines and medications that eliminate COVID as a problem. And we're has making it proven those to be, has it, has it proven to be successful? Yes. Yes. So why, do, why doesn't the world know about this, Ross? Well, we are doing everything we can to help take those technologies to market. But that's, that's a, uh, sort of a, a rounding error in terms of the media, the focus, and the drive addressing COVID. Um, it's, it's all about sticking something in your arm or whatever that is not going to prevent you from getting it. We can do... we do have partners and technologies that will take COVID out of the equation. And, 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 and we, in terms and on a percentage basis, some, you know, 99.99995 kind of percent of the time. And we're focused on creating a portfolio of solutions um, around 
those technologies that allow businesses or government agencies or entities to solve the problem. That that's but we need that. Market. But we we need that technology on the market now because people because CEOs. Well, it, is, it is on the market, but it's it it's not widely. Um, and we're manufacturing and creating these things with our partner, these kind of solutions, but it just doesn't have the, the capital, the backing, um, et cetera, behind it that the vaccine does. It doesn't have the media, the government pushing it. Forget the, forget the, forget the mainstream media. I've worked for four networks. They're, they make money off their advertisement with Pfizer's and the pharmaceutical yeah. companies. Okay. But, but the thing is, People, you know, at the same time, we have companies, even though the OSHA uh, decision by the Biden administration was pulled back into the courts and they, they pulled it out yesterday, um, day before yesterday, I think it was. That doesn't mean that they're not going to try it again from a different angle, because Ron Klain has basically proven that, you know, they're going to do the roundabout until they get what they want, which is making everybody, you know, fall in place that they don't have alternatives. You need to get this out. You need to tell people that there are alternatives because people are, I mean, the people that we have interviewed, the conversations I have that that um, are hopelessness for a lot of people. And people well, are losing their jobs. They're losing their loved ones. They're well, see, I, that's not, you know, even if you take away the from. I'm sorry, we just broke up. Say that again. Even if you solve the problem, you can solve the problem of COVID, but that doesn't solve the problem of people being fired because they haven't been vaccinated. Uh, that's a public policy and a media issue, but we are trying to do everything we can. And, and, and to be clear, again, I'm, I'm not criticizing anybody for any medical decision they make. If they talk to their doctor and they, they feel like they're in this risk category, they want to be vaccinated, I'm not going to argue with you, you know, make your medical decision. Um, but, but just don't be mandating. Um, and, and, and the Supreme court, obviously the employers can mandate. Uh, it looks like the government's going to have trouble mandating and we'll see what happens in the courts with employers mandating. But I just think people ought to have autonomy and be able to make their own medical decisions. Um, period. Full stop. Well, it, But here's the kicker. If anybody believes that, that employers have the right to mandate, the truth of the matter is they have no liability yeah. any more than the farmers do. Yeah. So for anybody to make, be making the decision that somebody else has to take a certain treatment, this is a slippery slope. of well, going I, I, I think it's absolutely wrong, but I think the court is already stopping the government. If, if I understand what's happening and now the battle is being fought on whether employers can do it, which frankly, I don't think they should be able to do either. I think people ought to make their medical decisions. But the, but, but the Supreme Court, when they made the decisions that, that the healthcare workers connected to Medicare and Medicaid money, yeah. that that's a slippery slope. Oh yeah, oh yeah, I agree. That's a sl very slippery well, we took slope. The, we took the frontline doctors and nurses that are risking their lives um, when we didn't know what we were dealing with and now we're firing them because they're making an informed medical decision. I believe even, even and not, not only that, but you know, what they're doing is also trashing some of the doctors earlier this week on Monday. Um, I was at the Ron Johnson's second round table with the doctors and some of the stories, Pierre Corey was calling it corruption probably five or six times during the round table. 
and Dr. Dr. Corey knows it firsthand because he was targeted. Uh, Dr. Paul Malik, he, he has come out and he shared his gruesome story about he was attacked in Virginia working for the hospital. And he basically said in so many words how difficult it was to administer to the sick. And he's one of the top ICU, he's number two in the world of ICU uh, critical care doctors. And just watching that the, the protocols that were given to the hospital administrators, then down the ladder to the doctors by the bedside, actually those, those, um, that care was killing people and yeah. he couldn't in good conscience be there doing something that was gonna kill the patient in the hospital. I mean, we have become numb, yeah, numb to this. Oh, it's a, it, it is a truly tragic situation. And we want to say that we're, you don't back the science if you don't agree with me type business, but it's not, you know, you've got doctors, nurses that are on the front lines um, who are trying to treat the patient in a holistic manner, trying to tailor the treatment, trying to do as much prevention and early stage treatment as they possibly can. Right. And they're being, uh, their hospital privileges are being revoked. There's a, I, you know, I've watched a woman in Texas who had, had not had a single fatality, treated over 2000 COVID patients. And she's not at all political. She's not at all anti-vaccine either, but she was just using Invernectin. She was using zinc. She was using vitamin D. She was, because she couldn't get the vaccine and she had not had a single death and they revoked her hospital privileges. Right. It just, she, she wasn't saying if I will not give patients the vaccination if they, if they tell me they want it kind of business. I mean, it is, it's crazy. I mean, you know, it is a, uh, it's a totalitarian approach to medicine for sure. It's a really sad situation. But you asked me the question about what do we do? We focus on finding alternative, innovative solutions to solve the problem. That's, that's what our role is, you know, to play. Other people have different gifts, abilities, and interest and ways that they can contribute. But I hope that that's the way we are focused on trying to contribute. And it was the same with ending sex trafficking. Uh, you know, we work with po politicians on both sides of the aisle um, and they, I couldn't have more different views than some of them, but we just didn't need to be argue about whether a six-year-old needs to be raped 15 times a day. Right. Well, let's just solve the problem. And that's sort of the same way we would approach COVID. You know, we would go to, do we want people dying from COVID? Do we want to keep people from getting, you know, we would just go right down to the basics and say, you know, let the person decide on their vaccine. You know, you're a policymaker, do what you're going to do. You're an employer, do what you're going to do. While you're doing that, why don't, why don't you do this and we'll stop your people from getting COVID? How would that be? So we, we try to just get out of the, the fray of the debate about a particular solution come in with a better alternative and say, if you'd like, we'll provide this better alternative. That, that would be our approach to COVID. And that's been our approach to, uh, to approaching preventing veteran suicides, ending sex trafficking, charitable care, whatever it is, how do we agree on a solution that's going to be better from, for the person we're trying to solve? And that, that's typically our approach on how we would approach spinal cord injury or COVID or anything else. So in my investigations in human trafficking for over two decades, I always go to the head of the snake. What causes this? 
And when I've taken a look at COVID, it either comes down to this is a leaked lab, this was an animal that was in the lab that was sold to a wet market or originated in a wet market. And do you think that people should shut down the wet markets across the globe because they, they've only shut down a couple that are in China, but they certainly haven't shut them all down. And we still don't have the full investigation of the origin. I don't think that we can solve COVID until we find the origin of it. No, I, I agree. And I don't think COVID will be the last thing we deal with. Um, if we're doing gain of function research, which I think clearly we are, um, then, and we're paying for it around the world, um, we, we need to shut it down and we need to do investigations into where the for, where the source, what the, where the, and you can't just redefine the words either. Every right. time somebody comes after you about it, you just change the meaning of the word. Well, I think there's consensus now. It came from the lab. I think that's pretty obvious yeah. across the board. Yeah. Whether um, it was an accident or whether it was on purpose, but but yeah. the other but the other element to this that nobody talks about is we funded and we were not the only country in the world. Norway funded it, you know, China funded it, but it's the international consortium of science and researchers that actually go into the into the wild to find these coronaviruses. And Fauci wants to keep it going. It closed down and it's connected to gain of function. Obama administration shut it down. And then it, Fauci went behind the scenes and got it back up and running. And then they ended it in the Trump administration. But if we don't shut that down, that's Frankenstein hunting. This is, this is like hunting, you know, you might as well be hunting human beings. Because yeah. the end result is that they're hunting these animals to find out if the coronaviruses are transmissible to human beings. And why are we doing that? I mean, that's Frankenstein. I, I agree. It's That's absolutely insane. And, you know, I've, I don't have a lot of, I mean, it's not, you know, what did the Obama administration spend on the Affordable Care Act um, website? I think it was $863 million and we never got a website. I mean, my faith in these people's ability uh, to do anything is not real high. Um, but, you know, I, I do think that we ought to uh, do everything we can to find out who's doing the research, where it's occurring, and shut it down, period, full stop. And I hope that'll happen uh, when cooler heads, more rational leadership is at the helm, which I hope will be very shortly on this topic. Um, and we can really dig into, you know, do a post-mortem on it. I mean, look at what we do on one airplane crash. Mm -hmm. I mean, one airplane crash goes down. We've got divers in the bottom of the ocean pulling up all the pieces and the flight recorder and everything else. I mean, in our healthcare system, we've got one or two 747s going down every single day and killing everybody on board. That's the number of wrongful deaths we have each year in our in our healthcare system, and we don't bat an eye. And COVID, we spent trillions of dollars. We've lost millions of people. I mean, just use the same standard you do in the airline industry and do a post-mortem and, and shut down the problem so it doesn't occur again. So, yes, I, I agree with you on shutting down gain of function and wet labs. I mean, I think that absolutely. I want, I want a real truth and reconciliation. I want the truth to come out. And if they're not going to put the truth out, we're going to, we're going to continue to investigate it and, and get it out there because, you know, we don't, we, we really need a Bishop Tutu at this point on the planet. And we don't, right. I'm not seeing a Bishop Tutu, 
you know, God rest his soul, um, you know, right now that's willing to stand up and say, okay, fine, let's do this because it will happen again if the corruption isn't exposed. Well, On that note though, Ross, tell people where, where your website is. Sure. It's H-I-N-R-I.org. H-I-N-R-I.org. The High Impact Network of Responsible Innovators. And you're uh, going to come back again. We're going to talk about a couple other different topics. Sure. I'm delighted to join. Thank you for having me Thank today. You. I'm delighted to join you anytime. Okay. Thanks for